0: Gospel of John. We're diving back in after being uh, taking a break for two weeks. John chapter ten. Go ahead and pass the outline out. John ten. I've been looking forward to this chapter for a while. Uh, this is perhaps one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of John. Um, it's sweet. It's full of sweet, precious truths about our Lord, about His love um, for us as His sheep. And it's also full of these rich and glorious doctrines of God's sovereign grace, as we're going to see um, this morning. Chapter 10 follows on the heels of chapter 9, right? Chapter 9 was where we were a couple weeks ago. Jesus heals the man born blind. Um, he comes progressively to an accurate faith in Christ as the Pharisees progressively grow in more and more opposition towards him and towards Christ and in, in hardness and unbelief. Um, and I don't have time to review the entire, um, entirety of chapter 9, but look at how it ends in verse 41. It ends with Jesus passing the sentence of condemnation on the Pharisees. It says, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And then without any break, it moves seamlessly into t- chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you. So these two are closely connected. This is all happening at, at, at one time. There, there, there's no break in the, the discourse here. Look how close it is. Jesus said... Verse 41, if you were blind, you, you, your. And then chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you. So he's still speaking to the Pharisees here in chapter 10, following up on what he told them in chapter 9. In other words, chapter 10, Jesus is going to expose these Pharisees as being false shepherds, more like thieves and, and robbers, as they abuse the flock in order to maintain their power, seeing as they exposed this man from Judaism, kicked him out of the synagogue for pursuing Christ. And Jesus is going to contrast himself with them as the good shepherd, who knows and is known by his sheep, which was seen in his seeking out this blind man, and this blind man recognizing him as Messiah. So I've entitled this passage, Christ, the True Shepherd, endure the, the sheep two contrasts between Jesus and false shepherds the first contrast here is the contrast between thieves and the true shepherd who calls out his flock so in this section Jesus gives a comparison between the true shepherd and false shepherds who use the flock for their own advantage given the close connection back to chapter 9, it's clear that Jesus has the Pharisees and the religious elite in his mind in what he's about to say in chapter 10. He's speaking directly to them. So in verse 1, Jesus says that false shepherds are thieves who selfishly abuse the flock. Look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now before we begin, it would be helpful just to step back and recognize these metaphors of sheep, shepherd, sheepfold. They have a rich Old Testament background. Um in the Old Testament, the shepherd is the common metaphor for a king or a spiritual leader, right? So Moses is called a shepherd. David and the kings are called shepherds. Yahweh is called the great shepherd of his people. Um, and the Messiah was going to be the shepherd come to Israel. And if the shepherd was the king, then the sheep were the people, the people of Israel he was to care for. But what does the sheepfold here in verse 1 represent? It says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. What is the sheepfold? This really going to become clear as we work through the passage, but let me tell you now that I think the sheepfold represents Judaism. It represents the old covenant people of God, Judaism. Look down in verse 16. I think it's made really clear here when you understand it. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not from this fold. From this Jewish fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock. And One shepherd. Jesus has sheep which are not from this Jewish fold, but from the nations. From another Gentile fold. That's what he's saying. So I think those are the metaphors. Shepherd, King, sheep, people, sheepfold, Old Covenant, Israel, Judaism. Look again at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus begins by describing these Pharisees as false shepherds. They do not come to the sheep through the door, but they climb into the sheepfold another way. I think the idea what, what's, what's going on here is that they seek to gain access to the sheep whom they do not have legitimate access to. The door represents open access to the flock of, of God. The sheep don't belong to them, and yet they attempt to gain access to them in some way for their selfish purposes. So that day it was common um, for villages to have little courtyards adjacent to homes in which families would store their livestock, their sheep. And often neighbors would share a courtyard. The the courtyard was surrounded by a four or five foot tall wall and uh, people would, neighbors, would all keep their flocks together in there. They would also hire um, a servant boy usually uh, to be the gatekeeper who would keep watch uh, while the sheep were in the pen. And Um, the gatekeeper would only allow those to whom the sheep belonged to come and take them out to take them to pasture. It was also common for there to be thieves in that day. and Thieves could not just come straight to the door. The gatekeeper is not going to let them in. They would have to go over the wall some other way to get the, the sheep. And that's the picture Jesus is giving here. He's saying that many people have come to the flock of Israel in this way. The religious leaders in this story have access to the people of God and the chosen flock of Messiah, yet they're not true shepherds. They sinfully seek to gain and maintain their power and influence over God's people. How did we see that in the previous story? They kick this man out of Jewish life. Um, They threaten people from even considering Christ as Messiah so they can hold on to their power and influence over the sheep. They do this because they're thieves and robbers. They're only interested for their selfish ambition. It's true of all false teachers, as my brother explained how it is there in Malawi. All false shepherds are like that. And this is the kind of leadership which has characterized Israel's Israel's leadership for most of its history. Hold your hand here and go back with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to be coming to Ezekiel 34 um, quite a bit this morning, so um, hold your hand in both places. Ezekiel 34. I think it's in the background of of most of our our text in John 10. Um, It is a condemnation of Israel's shepherds. Look at Ezekiel 34 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And Jesus' point in our passage is that the religious leaders of his day were of the same nature and deserve the same condemnation that these here in Ezekiel 34 Served. They were fleecing the sheep for their own selfish interest. They were not concerned with shepherding the flock to Messiah. But, just as we're going to see later in Ezekiel 34, there's a promise that a new shepherd will come. and will shepherd his people, and that brings us to the next verses in John. Go back to John 10, verse 2 through 6 contrast with these false shepherds, Jesus is the true shepherd who calls out his chosen flock. Unlike the false shepherds, Jesus, the true shepherd, has rightful access to his flock. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name And leads them out. The idea here is he he comes through the door. He has legitimate, authorized access to the sheep. They're his. He's not like the religious elite of that time. He doesn't depend on force or sin to gain access and control of the flock. He's not after personal gain. He doesn't force himself to this position. He comes as one to whom the flock belongs, they're his. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, He's going now to give us some implications. Because the flock is his, three important implications follow. We're going to park here for for a little bit. Number one, because he's the shepherd, because he has rightful access to the sheep, because they are his, therefore there is a certain response of his flock. Look what he says. The true shepherd comes through the door, and the sheep hear his voice. Now before we move on, we need to ask just who these sheep are here, and why are they Christ's? The sheep in all of chapter 10 are a defined group of people. So let me survey chapter 10 with you really quickly to get in mind just who these sheep are. Um, They're in this sheepfold, Judaism. They're they're even more precisely defined in chapter 10. Look over at verse 29. Who are these sheep? Number one, they are those who have been given to Christ by the Father. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me. Next. The sheep are those to whom Christ gives eternal life. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life. The sheep are always and completely all, every one of them, saved and respond to Christ. Look at verse 3. The sheep hear my voice. Verse 16. I must bring them also, and they will listen, always listen to Christ. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and follow me always. That's what the sheep do. They're a defined group of people. Moreover, these sheep belong both to Jewish and Gentile folds. Verse 16, I have other sheep not from this fold, but from the nations. And Christ lays his life down for these particular sheep. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life for the sheep. In other words, the sheep are those whom the Father has given to the Son for him to redeem. They are the elect. We have seen them repeatedly in John. The Father has given the Son a specific people for him to redeem. And that's what he's come to do. Hold your hand here. Go back to chapter 6. Let me show you this. If you've been with us, you will remember um, these truths. Chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, All the Father gives me. So the Father gives some to the Son, and they all come. They will come to me. Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me. Go over to chapter 17. John. John 17, look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Who are the sheep? They are those the Father has given to the Son for Him to redeem. Some from Jewish fold, some from Gentile folds. As the true shepherd, Christ has been given a flock by the Father, and He comes as their shepherd in order to call them out from Judaism and from the nations to be His new covenant messianic community. Of disciples. The focus of these verses, verses 2 through 5, is on the shepherd coming, calling out sheep to himself to create a new covenant people. So let's come back to our our verse here in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. We said earlier at that time that households would often keep their flocks together in a shared courtyard in the village. But how, when the shepherds were ready to come get the flock and take them out to pasture them, um, how did they go about separating the sheep? And if you have multiple flocks mixed together, what, how did they do it? And it was the case then, and it's still the case today, that sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd. Shepherds would come and call the sheep, and the sheep would separate themselves out and come to each one's <laughs> own shepherd. It's very possible that is the background here. It says they hear him. The word means much more than a sensation of, of hearing. Um, it means to listen, to respond. So, what disciples do towards Christ. We've seen this a number of times in John. They hear him. They listen to him. They respond with faith and submission and obedience to Christ. That's what sheep do. And this verse tells us that they do so because they are sheep. Ultimately speaking, one does not become a sheep by hearing and responding to Christ, although that is essential. There's no life unless you hear and respond to Christ. But ultimately speaking, one responds to Christ because he is a chosen sheep given by the Father to the Son. Look over at chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them. He's talking to the Pharisees here, still unbelieving. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not part of my flock. He doesn't say it the other way around. He doesn't say you're not part of my flock because you don't believe, although that's true. He says ultimately you don't believe because you're not my flock. He's saying here that because he has rightful access to the sheep by virtue of the fact they're his from the Father, the result is that they all, always hear and respond to Take back to chapter 9. What what what, what happened there? This man born blind is healed. Christ seeks him out. And he comes to faith in Christ. The point is, he is a sheep. He hears. He believes. And the contrast is true also. The Pharisees who progress further and further into unbelief, what's the reason? They're not sheep. They're not part of Messiah's flock. But Jesus goes on. Another implication of the fact that he's the rightful Messiah, it's not only that all will hear and respond, but that he gives a particular summons to his flock. It says he calls them according to name. Shepherds were known to name their sheep, usually based upon physical features of the sheep, whether one had a limp or black or had spots or was white. The idea was one of affection. It was intimate knowledge and concern. They they named their sheep. They knew their sheep. It highlights his ownership, but it also highlights his individual concern for each and every one of them. He knows them and calls them by name. Christ did not come to accomplish a vague, general salvation. He came to accomplish a particular salvation redemption for each of those that were given to him. The previous line told us that every one of these who respond to Christ do so because they're his sheep. This line tells us that Christ is intimately familiar with each and every one of them and has come to call them out to be part of his messianic flock. The idea here is that of of summoning You call. um, Summon the sheep to himself. And that's how he's doing it. He's doing that today. He's doing that every time the word's opened. He's summoning the sheep through his word, through his spirit, to himself by name. Finally, the fact that Christ is the rightful owner of this flock means the complete salvation of the flock. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his... Oh. He calls, they respond, and he brings them out as his flock. Leading here represents protection and guidance and provision. The point that's being made is that not one of them fail to come, but it says, when he has brought out all his own. He doesn't fail to bring a single one of the sheep that were given to him by Father. So before we move on, I just want to part here and uh, consider a few implications of these truths. They're rich, very important truths. We need these in our lives, and these are obviously the ones that people argue about. They're not meant for arguing. They're meant to nourish our souls in profound ways. So number one, know the Trinitarian affectionate, and individual love for you, believer. If you've come to faith in Christ, it's ultimately because the Father gave you to the Son. And the Son summoned you by His Word, by name. And the Spirit came and caused you to be born again, brought you to life, opened your eyes to the Son, And he does not do that for everyone. He does it for his sheep. Know the free grace here. It's unearned. Uncoerced. It's free identification of you to become part of his flock. And it had nothing to do with you. And Did you know he's still full of that same affection and concern for each one of you? Not only to determined to call you and make you part of his flock but now that you are a part of his flock he knows you by name and if he is full of that much affection and concern and intimate knowledge of you he will not fail to bring you all the way home he doesn't lose a single one of them. he'll keep you he's called you by name and made you a member of his new covenant and he'll bring you all the way to the new creation brothers and sisters. Number two, rest in the certainty of salvation for God's elect. He never fails to accomplish this. This truth is meant to give us such boldness, such confidence and strength to lay down our lives in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hardness, of unbelievers, knowing that all who are Christ's will hear his voice. Where else will a person get confidence to go to the dark atheistic world of China? The dark Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, secular American world. But for the fact that Christ's sheep will hear his voice, you need only to proclaim him, speak him, depend on him. It will work. It's meant to give you such boldness and confidence it's not up to you but on the other side of that extreme it's meant to give you boldness and confidence it's also meant to help you rest it's not up to you you don't have to force it down their throats you don't have to hammer it over their heads it frees you to love them it frees you to be patient with them slowly as you have opportunity proclaim them to them. He will accomplish his work. It's a privilege to be vessels used by him. Well, Jesus, uh, let's move on now to the next point. He's the true shepherd. He not only has rightful access to his flock, but he also goes before his following flock, verses 4-5. to If the previous verses highlighted Sheep coming out, becoming part of his flock. Conversion. Then these verses highlight the response of the sheep to him after identifying with him as shepherd. What is that? It's willing discipleship for the verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Shepherd went before his flock for its protection. And Christ goes before his flock as its Savior as he marches and clears the way to the Father for them as he goes to the cross. And he goes before the flock as their Lord and Master who's come to declare truth that people must submit to. And the sheep who've recognized Christ as their Savior follow him as Savior and as Lord. They depend on His crosswork daily and submit to His Lordship constantly. But why? It's because they know His voice. They've embraced Him as shepherd because they know His voice, and they continue to follow Him because they know His voice. I think this verse is so helpful because it clearly explains why discipleship must follow conversion. Because it would be the greatest contradiction to say I heard Christ's voice it became his I've identified with him but I don't follow his voice in my daily life and discipleship his sheep who heard his voice continue to hear his voice and follow the flip side is also true that Christ's flock also abandons false shepherds Look at verse 5 a stranger burned to the thieves and robbers A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The blind man didn't listen to the Pharisees, even though they were the religious elite. He fled from them. It's what God's flock does. They follow Christ, and they are also protected against the voice of false shepherds. This also should give you much hope and confidence in your discipleship as you shepherd one another yes be more clear be more faithful be more knowledgeable be more skillful but know that it's ultimately not even up to you to keep those you're discipling or even keep yourself but that's through the power of the spirit those who are his are kept they don't hear the voice of another so that's the first contrast between true and false shepherds it was a stinging condemnation to uh, the, the Pharisees. But look at verse 6. They don't get it. Jesus says, This figure of speech he used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They don't get it. Why? Because they're not his sheep, right? They cannot understand. This is the pattern over and over in John. Those who lack spiritual life are oblivious to spiritual realities, they always miss what Jesus is. Saying, And Jesus told us back in chapter 8 why that was the case. You don't understand my words because you are not from God. You're the DNA of the devil, he tells them. You can't have insight into my word. You're unable. So in other words, the Pharisees' very failure here to understand his words is a case in point example of what Jesus just declared. His sheep hear and understand and follow. That brings us now to the next contrast in verse 7 through, through 10. The contrast between thieves and the door through whom his flock enters. So the focus of the first section was on Christ coming and calling out a flock to himself. But now the focus is on Christ as the access point through whom people come to become part of his flock. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus uses this metaphor of a door again, but it represents something very different than it did in verses 1 through 2. There, the door, was that through which the shepherd came, right? It symbolized he had rightful access to his flock. But here... Jesus gives his third I am statement in the Gospel of John and he says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is now the door. He's not going through the door. He is the door. The entrance point itself. But before Jesus explains what that means, he's going to give another contrast with the uh, Jewish leaders in verses 7 through 8. He's the door of the sheep and yet he's quite distinct from these false shepherds. Their aim is to use and abuse the people of God, but Jesus is not like that. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus here gives this sweeping condemnation, sweeping label of his predecessors. Now some take this to mean all who came before me. Well, who are those people? Some people take it to mean there were false messiahs, people who pretended to be messiah. Um, there's a whole bunch of other conjectures. I don't think it's any of those. I think we've already seen who the thieves and robbers are. They're the corrupt leadership of Israel, right? Um, but it's a sweeping statement. So what does he mean? All who came before me are thieves and robbers. You're probably thinking, what about Moses? What about David? What about the prophets? What about John the Baptist? Were they thieves and robbers too? So I don't think Jesus means here that every single one of those in leadership in the Old Testament were thieves and robbers. I think he's given a general statement about the nature of Israel's leadership up to this point. Let me show you a few texts in the Old Testament which say this here. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 23, Your princes are rebels companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bride and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets. It's the general nature of the leadership of Israel to this point. They were like thieves and robbers, and so they're desperate for a new king, a true king, a messianic king, one who's promised um, in Ezekiel, we'll see here in a minute. But while that's the kind of corruption that characterized Israel for most of its history, um, sheep didn't listen to them. They rejected them. Them. Israel is dominated by false shepherds. It's also characterized by the elect those true Old Testament saints who waited for the coming of Messiah. But now Messiah is here and and that's what Jesus wants to declare in the rest of our passage, verses 9 through 10. Jesus is the door through whom his messianic flock enters. Let's read it again, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What does that mean? He's the door. It means that Jesus is the exclusive entrance point into the messianic flock of God and the eschatological promises of salvation. While the sheep did not listen to the false shepherds, they listened to Christ. And by their listening, they enter into his fold. Look what he says. He says, if anyone enters through me. This is one of those universal invitations in the Gospel of John, right? There's a number of them. John 3.16 That anyone who believes in him should not perish. We have a number of these all over the Gospel of John. These universal invitations. If one should enter through me, he'll be saved. And the truths that we just learned about God's election, his particular redemption, do not make this invitation False or empty, as some people say. Some people say that if election were true, then the universal offers of the gospel cannot be true. But that's not correct, because John affirms both of them. In other words, this doctrine of election stands. If one should enter through me. There's not a single person who has entered through Christ by faith who has not been saved. That's a true statement. If you enter through Christ, you'll be saved. You are not telling something not true when you tell that to unbelievers. That is true. Yes, being a sheep is the necessary grounds for it. But you don't know who those people are, do you? Your job is to what? Declare. If you enter through Christ, you will be saved. That's a true statement. Not a single person who's done that has not been saved. But if they do do that, what does it tell us? They are who? They're his sheep. They're his sheep. And to those who do, Jesus gives three amazing promises. And with these, we'll wrap up. Number one, he will be saved. It's a very common expression for us. We say, I got saved, I'm saved, I was saved. It's actually a pretty rare expression for John. He only uses it three places in his gospel. Leon Morris, I think, put it well, defining what it means here. Um, It's the comprehensive term for the whole process whereby people are delivered from the consequences of their sin and brought into the blessing of God you'll be saved. Jesus goes on to explain a bit more. If you enter through him into his sheepfold to become part of his flock, he will come in and go out. It's a biblical expression. It means you'll move free and, and safe. It represents restoration and peace. No danger. According to this gospel, the greatest danger you face is the wrath of God looming over your head. In this life, in life to come the idea is you'll you'll, you'll come and go freely no danger of the judgment of God and the removal of the curses from creation number three he will find pasture he'll find pasture go back now with me very quickly to Ezekiel 34 Ezekiel 34 He'll find pasture. What does that mean? Well, after condemning these false shepherds in Ezekiel, God goes on to declare that he is going to be the shepherd. He's going to rescue his flock. And in verse 14, look what he says. He says, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing. it looks forward to the time of the restoration of Israel and the restoration of creation. Look at verse 26. He's also going to do this through his king, through his Messiah, David. He's going to raise up in verse 23. Verse 26 says, I will make them um, in the places all around my hill of blessing and I'll send down showers in the seasons. There will be showers of blessing. Over to chapter 37, verse 26. This is look, looking forward to the restoration of all things, the new creation Look at how it begins and what is necessary to happen for it to come. Verse 26 of uh, verse 37. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I'll set them in their land and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore the removal of the curses, the restoring of God's original intent with His creation, He would dwell in unhindered fellowship with His people. And John tells us that comes through the new covenant, which Christ accomplished in the new birth. The cleansing of your sin, the transformation of your nature, which Ezekiel promises. And the point is that that has begun. It's not just coming. It is coming. But it's begun. You have eternal life. You have entered into pastures. You have communion with God today. But it's only for those who enter through through Christ. Let's wrap up here in verse 10 of John. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Again, contrast with thieves. He's not after the selfish purposes he's come to lay his life down to be the shepherd in the door by himself being killed that they might have life <laughs> D.A. Carson said "Is a proverbial way of insisting that there is only one means of receiving eternal life one source of knowledge of God one fount of spiritual nourishment one basis for spiritual security Jesus alone he's not just after your life he's after your abundant life exceedingly overflowing including your perfect fellowship with the triune God. This is eternal life that they might know you, true God in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So let me close by just asking you a question. Do you live like you have this life? Do you live in light of the total cleansing you received? The transformation of your spirit? Do you live in consistent fellowship with God as having this life? As having this peace with God? Are you zealous about bearing fruit for him? Or have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten that you've entered through Christ and become part of his people? You don't live in consistent submission to his lordship as his sheep. You've forgotten that you're blind without him. believe I want to encourage you, um, know who you are, know the love of God for you, grow in boldness in the gospel, of you know, God's purposes. Remember, you have life. You're his flock. And you're enjoying the first fruits of those promises in Ezekiel. When God will dwell among us. So we're out of time. Any questions, comments? For us, we'll go. I want to see the picture of Ezekiel. You see that doctrine of the even in Ezekiel, with that imagery and... Israel, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, God, them, you have choosing uh, just, just It is, it is. That's the pattern. He came to Israel freely, uncoerced. He chose them to be His special people. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Questions, comments? All right. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Your Word. I ask that You nourish us with it, cause us to bear fruit. Thank you, for your great. Help us to live like people who have become partakers of this great salvation. We love you. Prepare our hearts for the service to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.